welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. Amen. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Morning to our brothers and sisters online as well. Man, I'm excited to be here, excited to have you here uh, at Connection Church. I uh, want to share a couple things. One, uh, we had a student come to faith in Christ this past week, so we have cause to celebration uh, as a church. As Satilia shared, we are getting to uh, encourage and strengthen our brothers all around the world. Also, uh, I want you to be praying for uh, AJ, our students and missions pastor, as he will be uh, going into northern Africa to strengthen our church planters there. So if you would keep him in our prayers, uh, as we are still doing gospel work all around uh, the world. And so I'm excited about what God is doing. But today, uh, we're going to be teaching and preaching out of uh, 2 Samuel 11, today talking about uh, the fall of David. So I'm sure as you heard those passages, maybe some of you are thinking like, no, 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 wait, like, that's the David we've been talking about? Like the guy who uh, was anointed by God, the guy who slayed Goliath, who, Goliath who, who had a heart for the Lord, like this is the guy. And what I want to talk about today and really what I want to share with you are five things we can learn uh, from David's fall. But, to, but one of the things I wanted to share uh, as I was studying this passage and getting ready, uh, it really brought me back uh, to when this church was beginning. Uh, this, which is crazy to believe, this year will be five years uh, that Connection Church Dublin uh, has existed. And so uh, it used to look a lot different than this. In fact, uh, it comprised of three couples. Uh, so the church had six people. Uh, and, and really for Carly and I, we uh, kind of uprooted our lives, uprooted uh, our livelihood where we were, and uh, just kind of trusted the Lord that we believed that he was uh, leading us to plant a gospel-centered church that was very community-oriented, going to be faithful to the gospel. Uh, we wanted to reach people uh, far from God. We wanted to reach people that, that no one else was reaching. But um, in, that, in that time, uh, I needed a lot of courage, and that it was very intimidating to think about, man, like, this doesn't exist. Like, Lord, I think you're leading me here, but, but nothing's uh, happened. And, and what if no one listens, right? Like, what if no one gives a rip about what I got to say? Uh, what if no one comes to faith? And, and we really wrestled with that, and, and it took a lot of courage. But um, we, we finally came to the point where uh, we both decided, like, listen, if this thing crashes and burns, if it doesn't go well, uh, if one person... If one person meets Jesus, it's going to be worth it, right? And so we put our yes on the table, and man, thank God that his faithfulness meets our faith, amen? And uh, we've seen some good work. But during that time, uh, I needed courage. And so I picked up a book, and still to this day, one of the most life-shaping books of my life, uh, a guy by the name of Bill Hybels wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. And uh, he planted a church years and years ago uh, in Chicago that, that grew to be a, a massive, one of the first megachurches uh, of our nation. And, and he really uh, has a sort of a kindred spirit to me. Like he read uh, Acts chapter 2. He saw a vision of what the, church was, what, what the church could be and should be. Kind of this unsettledness that, that I sometimes have of like, man, I, I believe that the church I'm reading about in Acts can come to fruition. And so, man, I just really enjoyed that book. And honestly, I can say I feel like I borrowed a lot of courage 
from Bill Hybels. And uh, man, it was a, a great experience. And what Hybels talked about a lot in the book was, hey, listen, who you are in Christ will always be more important than what you're doing for Christ. He talked about integrity. He talked about um, being, being a, a man of character and, and all these sorts of things. Well, it uh, turns out about four years ago, a uh, story comes out that he actually had fallen. In fact, uh, behind closed doors, there was some uh, misappropriation in leadership, uh, some sexual promiscuity. And if you ever turn on the news and you see someone flash across the screen that has fallen and you think, oh no, not him, right? Lord, don't let it be true. Not him, not her. And for me, that was that. And in a minute, you almost feel jaded of like, well, daggum, man, like, what the heck happened? Like, you said to do just the opposite of what you did. This is what I want you to know today. Everyone lean in. No matter who you are, where you're at, where you come from, anyone can fall. I want everyone to hear that. And that's what I learned in that story is that, man, we are all susceptible. So I want today to be five things we can learn on the front end of David's fall, right? And I believe today will be a great uh, encouragement to you. So with that being said, um, let me kind of tell you what's going on here. So uh, we left off last week, David uh, slayed Goliath, right? We talked about that it's a picture of Jesus uh, slaying uh, sin, death, and Satan, right? It's a picture of the gospel and that David is the, the picture of Christ, that he is the, the chosen one that, that will go before us and do the very thing for us we can't do for ourselves is save us from our sin, and now what has happened is that David uh, has grown up, and as he has grown up, he has become a great warrior, a great leader, a servant-hearted leader, ferocious in battle. And uh, he becomes uh, a military leader in Israel. Well, uh, as he is having great success and victory, trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord, uh, Saul, the king of Israel, becomes more and more jealous. In fact, for a lot of the book of 1 Samuel, Saul, the king of Israel, if you guys remember, that's the guy who fell uh, to pride, insecurity, all those things. He spends a lot of time trying to kill David. Could you imagine the king who you love and serve is so jealous and afraid of you that he's trying to pin him to a wall with a spear? And so David has had to press into the Lord. He's had some crazy adventures throughout. Well, what has happened is um, Saul has died in battle, and now David, who was anointed king as a teenager, uh, was anointed by God, finally has the position of king, right? So he was anointed as a child. Now he is king of Israel, and guess what? He continues to press into the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart, and his leadership flourishes as king of Israel. He continues to be used powerfully, mightily for the Lord. But then something happens, right? And I'm going to show you this in verse 1, is he begins to settle in. He begins to settle in. And what got him to where he was was his absolute trust and pursuit of God. A man after God's own heart, pursuing uh, the Lord. And now what we see is what starts uh, with, with just kind of backing away from the battlefield begins to uh, dive into deep, deep sin. Amen? It begins to dive into deep, deep sin. And so remember, today I want to show you that anyone can fall. So five things we learn from David. Um, the first one comes out of verse 1. I want you to read it with me. It says, In the spring, at that time, when kings go off the war, notice his position, king, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained 
in Jerusalem. The first thing I want you to see here is this. We can't take our foot off the gas, right? We can't take our foot off the gas in our relationship with God. See, what David did here is he delegated the very place he was supposed to be. He was a warrior king. He's always led uh, by, by going forth and, and engaging in battle. That's what God had raised them up to do. And it says this is the time of the year where kings, they go off and lead their men in the war. And David is like, hey, listen, I've arrived, right? This one time, I'll just send Joab. He's a good leader. And I, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to take it easy. I've been doing good. Man, look what I've done. I've killed a lion, a bear, Goliath, a bunch of Philistines. I'm good, right? And what we begin to see, all right, is David's downfall simply by delegating his calling, by delegating the battle to someone else and really retreating from the very place uh, he should be. You know, it reminds me when I was in college, um, I was a, a college athlete. I wrestled uh, for a couple years. And, and man, in that time, I was in the, 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 the best shape of my life. Man, I, was, I would run some miles during the day. I had a wrestling practice in the evening. I was disciplined in my eating. And, and you know, when you are pressing in and you're disciplined, doesn't it kind of spill over into other areas of your life, right? Um, and so at that time, man, I had my foot on the gas. I was healthy. I was moving forward. My lifestyle was pretty healthy. Well, um, wrestling uh, career, it came to an end, and so I transferred to Georgia Southern, and y'all, man, I moved into a trailer with two 300-pounders, all right? And, uh, and man, in this uh, place, I began to learn that you can't eat spaghetti without melting cheese and putting ranch dressing on top, right? Uh, I, I learned all kinds of secrets. Um, I, I learned that when you go to Shane's Rib Shack, when you order that four-piece buff cue, fingers, like you got to order extra toast to make little sandwiches, right? Like I, I learned all kinds of stuff. And so um, I, I began to take my foot off the gas in my lifestyle. You know, I went to the gym a couple times, but I remember thinking like, hey, I don't, I ain't got to go wrestle nobody anymore. I don't have to do this power clean. I don't have to do this bench press. And so um, I would work out, but slowly but surely, I began to take my foot off the gas. And isn't it amazing, man? You fast forward four months, um, I just caught 40 pounds somewhere, and I just wanted to nap all day, right? Um, and, and literally, like, I, I just began to have a very unhealthy lifestyle. And it spilled over into my schoolwork. It spilled over into my relationships. It spilled over into every area of my life. Though I never wanted to be there, I never had in mind to get unhealthy. I never had in mind to have an unhealthy lifestyle. It started with me taking my foot off the gas pedal, right? Now, listen, I want everybody to lean in right here. What we learn from this is this. We can't afford to take our foot off the gas in our relationship with God, right? We can't afford to take our foot off the gas in our relationship with God. You know, the Bible says this. It says if we walk in light as he is in the light, coming from 1 John, it says the blood of Jesus purifies us, right? And we have fellowship. Well, listen, when we talk about walking in light, I don't know if you've done any walking, um, but that's an action term, right? Walk requires proactivity, not inactivity. Hear that one more time. And what he's saying is when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we're saved from our sin into relationship, uh, this relationship doesn't sit, but it moves, Right? It's a proactive way of doing life. And that sadly, um, many feel like the rela a relationship with Jesus uh, is to come and sit, but rather um, it's to walk it out. It's to go and tell. I heard a great quote this week. It says, the Christian life feeds upon contemplation. Sure, when we're sitting down, when our Bible's open, when we're praying, um, we are feeding our spirit, our relationship with God. 
but it, it, it displays itself in action. Hear that again. The Christian life feeds itself in contemplation, but it displays itself in action. And it's a matter of walking out what we're getting from the Lord. Amen? It is pressing in. It is walking. It implies continual progress. And if we have fellowship with God, we will be walking out this relationship with God. We are naturally walking in Him. If you were listening uh, last week, I talked about um, that, that I believe in this time, with so much going on in our world, we have been called to proactively live out who we've been called to be in Christ, right? That many, time we, many times we are uh, shall, shall, shallow away or back away in fear because we aren't walking in faith, right? And what a walk is is a movement. We say, well, well Buck, where, where do we walk? What does that look like? The rest of our life, I'm going to tell you God's will for your life, Right? I can't tell you which job to take and that sort of thing. You take that up with him. But listen, wherever he sends you, we're called to be doing three things. To love God, to love people, and to make disciples, right? Really, for the rest of our life, we have a calling. It's to love God, it's to love people, and it's to make disciples, right? And so you say, well, but why do you tell me to go and do something? Funny quote real quick. He said, yeah, but I love... I love our church. I had a guy tell me this one time. He said, man, we don't practice the boot scoop method. I said, the boot scoop method? He said, yeah, man, you come to church, you sit on your boot. When it's over, you scoot on out, right? And that, no, we, we challenge to walk. Well, why do you every week say that the gospel saves us, but it moves us? Why are we to go and do stuff? Listen, I had a guy one time when I was um, being, being discipled and invested in getting ready to, to step in the church leadership. He said to me, Buck, he said, always be busy doing the right things. A lot of the things I'm talking about. He said, a lazy man is a dangerous man. Hear that one more time. And ladies, that applies too. A lazy woman is a dangerous woman. And that when we are not pressing in and walking towards something, we're going to run to things or we're going to walk to things that are going to damage us, right? That are going to hurt our integrity, that are going to hurt who we are in Christ, and are going to hurt the world around us. So I say it like this at our church. It's not that we ask people to walk because we want something from you. Hey, this ain't got nothing to do with, with me, with the church, with Connection Church. right? This has everything to do with Christ and Him crucified and the gospel going forth. right? And so listen, this is what I would say. We don't want something from you. We want Jesus for you. right? And every week we're putting that on display to see what does it look like to walk out a relationship with Jesus. And so at our church, we believe uh, we have five cultures that make up a healthy believer. You're like, well, I want to know, am I walking? Am I walking out the faith? Because David stopped walking, and we see sin come in. Well, five things we say. Number one is evangelism. We believe that saved people live sent. That means when someone has told us the gospel and we've received it, uh, we have a desire to go and tell the gospel to others. And and if we don't know how to quite do that yet, we invite them to the place where they know they're going to hear it. Um, The second is community, right? That real life change happens in community. That when we are accountable to community and we're around people that that are seeking the Lord, that are going after the Lord, doesn't it change us, right? When we're in community with people that are, that are not perfect, right? Look around left and right. Listen, there's some messed up folks in this place, right? Listen, okay? Not hang out with them a little while, okay? But listen, when we are in community with people that are seeking to follow the Lord, it changes us. 
and it keeps our foot on the gas. Um, the next is discipleship. That's the, the idea of making disciples. When we are actively looking uh, to tell others and teach others about Jesus, we're pressing in. The fourth is serving, right? You'll notice blue and orange shirts and different colored shirts all around the place. And what that is are people that are serving the Lord. And what it does is it keeps Christ first in our life. It keeps putting Christ uh, first and, and putting us behind. It keeps us pressing in. And the fifth is generosity, right? That the gospel produces generous people. And it reminds us when we're tempted to take our foot off the gas and go do something that's a little more just about me, it keeps Christ first. It keeps us pressing in, okay? And so we see that David stopped. He stopped pressing in, okay? And we see sin creep in and take him to a place he never desired to go. Now read verses 2 through 5 with me. This is what it says. It says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Okay? From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife, hear this, of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. He, she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now we're going to finish out the story. I want you guys to hear this. And, and real quickly, exactly what happened. He saw a beautiful woman. He didn't turn away. He engaged, sent after her. She came. He slept with her, knowing it was someone else's wife. And guess what, man? Busted. She became pregnant, right? Let's see how David handles this when he is messed up. He has royally blown it. He's messed up, but now the whole world's about to know that he has blown it. He's messed up. Verse 6. It says, So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and the gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? He says, why didn't you go home? Verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark, remember that's the presence of God, where uh, the presence of God is. In Israel, that's God's people, in Judah, are staying in tents. And my commander, Joab, my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And so what Uriah basically does is, is David's wanting to cover up his mess, right? Like he's sending the man to his wife. He's been off on a military campaign. He's thinking, man, you know he's going to be tearing out to the house, right? And he says, no, no. I'm not going to enjoy the pleasures of, of what I have because I know God's men are out there fighting and I'm staying right here, right? That's a righteous man. That's a man who is about the Lord's business. And so David's scrambling now. Oh, no, I can't cover it up. Let's see what he does. Um, it says, verse 12, Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that night, that day, and the next. And the next. At David's invitation... He ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. In the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. David ain't, try, he ain't done trying to cover his stuff up, right? He's like, man, if I can get this cat hammered, surely he'll go home, right? And so what does he do? He gets him drunk, 
right? And he sends them, and he will not go. He refuses. And now we see that David is exposed. There's no way to cover it up. And this is where it, it begins to get deadly. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And if I could summarize the rest of the chapter, that's exactly what happens. He sends this innocent man who is about the Lord, who, who is about the Lord's people, is about this battle. He, he sends them to the front line, withdraws, and he is killed. Goes on, and David, in his last attempt to cover up his sin, marries Bathsheba. So now he's gotten away with it. He's gotten away with murder. He's gotten away with adultery. And now when this child comes... It's just going to claim it as his, that he has is, he is really carefully covered this timeline. And so now that you see the full picture of, okay, he took his foot off the gas, and now it's led him to a place that, man, we never would have thought he would go. This is the king of Israel, God's chosen person, uh, uh, anointed, right? And we see that David has fallen. And so what can we learn? Well, I want to, I want to ask you this question real quick, okay? Okay. Um, when does it become sin in, in our culture? Because what David was doing on the roof is he was looking, and then he saw her, right? I mean, think about our culture. The other night, uh, I, I saw something flash across the screen. All oh, we were in there watching, and I said, dang, Carly, is that Baywatch? You watching Baywatch? I said, no, honey, that's a Hardy's commercial, right? I mean, you guys see it everywhere. Wouldn't you guys agree? When we're on our computers, we're on our phones, we're on the TV, Man, there, there is temptation everywhere. In fact, I would say this. It's not a matter of if we're tempted, it's what we're doing with temptation. That is the message for us, right? And so David is tempted. He's out on the roof, and he sees this woman, and there comes a moment where he's got to turn and go to what he knows to do to press into the Lord, or he indulges, right? We all know that moment. I don't care who you are. Statistics show, and this is just talking about um, but pornography, is that 95% of men have watched at least once. That's everyone. That's, that's all over our country, 70% of women. And I know sometimes that's uncomfortable to talk about, but those percentages are true. And the most um, insensitive thing I can do is just pretend like it doesn't happen, right? Because what happens when we begin to indulge and we engage, because temptation is coming. It's a matter of talking about what we do when it comes to us. Amen? And so, what, what, what we do is, what do we do in that moment? Because the Bible says that the, the devil rolls around like a, pour, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And it usually doesn't happen in a big bite, but usually he's going to lead us astray, right? He's going to draw us away from the Lord. He's going to draw us away from community. He's going to draw us away from time spent with the Lord. And when we get there, man, we're sitting ducks. And we see that if David can fall, listen, every one of us in here are susceptible to fall. I think about it like this. I don't think anyone on the planet, right? I don't think anyone on the planet wakes up and let's just say they put on their suit and tie. They're getting ready for work. Maybe ladies, you put on a good dress and you're doing your hair. Y'all do a lot of stuff. Anyway, whatever y'all do. All right, so listen. We look in the mirror and we're smiling. You know, we think, man, it's sunny in 75 out there. I think I'm going to go destroy my life today. <laughs> I think I'm going to go destroy my marriage today. You know what? I think today is a great day. I'm going to go destroy my integrity. I think I'm going to go rip a family apart. That sounds like a great idea. No one does that, right? But see, what happens is we are led astray by little steps. 
And so we learned that David didn't dive right in the sin, but he was led away by small steps. And when we're not seeking the Lord, when we're not in community, we're in trouble. And if David can fall, we all can fall. So, so we learn a little bit and give you a little background about David. Um, he was um, tempted by lust. He, he struggled with lust. In fact, we learned he had many wives. And so um, this is kind of a, a cultural thing that polygamy was something people did, but we never see the Lord condone it. In fact, in Deuteronomy, he says, kings should not have many wives, right? And so David uh, begins to pick up wives as he goes along. We see his temptation is lust. And we see what it takes him to is not only lusting and adultery, but murder. And so all of us, we're all tempted in different ways. But the Bible gives us some things to do here. I want you guys to read with me Proverbs 4, 23. This is what it says. It says, above all, hear that, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Listen, what comes into here and flows down here, everything in our life is coming from that input. Right? Everything that we consume that goes into our heart, it says from the heart flows everything. Everything you do flows from it. So if we are not guarding what is coming in and seeping down here, right? I'm telling you, what we get to let in here and comes down here, we'll begin to come back out into our life and in our words. I'm telling you, man, that's just true. Right? Well, you guys nod, you're quiet today. Y'all might be nervous and you're quiet. Everybody up? Yeah, good? All right. So we tell him to guard our heart and our mind. And then secondly, listen to this, Romans 8, 6. I want you to listen. The mind governed by the flesh. And what that means is led. When we aren't thinking about Christ, we aren't thinking about eternal things, okay? Um, it says the mind governed by the flesh is death, okay? Not only death spiritually, but death to relationships, death to people we really love, death to, in this case, Uriah. But the mind governed by the spirit, and that's the Spirit of God. That's the things of God, the, the things God wants for us, is life and peace, right? I heard somebody say one time, you find somebody whose Bible's tor torn all up from reading it, their life usually isn't. It just looks more peaceful. Because see, what's happening is what's coming into the mind and into the heart is flowing out of the life, right? And it's life and peace. And so, listen, I want you guys uh, to, to lock in right here because we're going to get to the part that just gets really good. But this is a great warning of that, man, we're to guard our heart, we're to guard our mind in Christ Jesus, okay? And so you ask, well, Buck, how do I, I guard my mind? I hear you, I guard my heart. That sounds super defensive. Well, I want you guys to write this down and think about it, okay? Uh, the, great, the best defense in our relationship with God is a strong offense. Hear that again. A great defense in our relationship with God is a strong offense. You remember, we talked about guard our heart, guard our mind, okay? Where you're saying, well, guard our heart, guard our mind. I got it, I got it, I got it. Listen to the greatest commandment in all the Bible. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This is uncanny. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart. Remember what I say, we got to be busy doing the right things. It says, when we're busy loving God with all our heart, man, we are blocking out that mess that's coming in trying to rip us up. Amen? Man, when we are loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, man, we're playing offense and we are ripping apart the enemy. It's a great defense. Amen? Man, when we are living actively in who we are in Christ, man, come at me, sucker. You can't get me, right? Listen, man, I'm, i got to calm down. All right. A great defense is a good offense, that this life was not meant to be sat, but meant to be lived out. Man, Jesus loves you. He loves you enough for me to tell you that, that man, he desires your heart. He does not want to see you led away in the hurt stuff, right? 
and to hurt people to hurt his creation. He loves you too much. And he gave us David to give us a good warning of all can fall. So maybe you're crushing it. Maybe you've never had a meltdown where, where people found out you did some bad stuff. I, I have. I have. I know what it feels like to be David. Some of you in this room, you know what it feels like to be David. And I guarantee you, as the Lord has restored you from some of that stuff, you would tell people, man, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. The fallout is too great. It's not worth it. And so I would say this, man. There is no neutral in kingdom living. Either our foot is on the gas or we are in retreat mode. I'm telling you, we're a sitting duck. Amen? So there's no neutral in kingdom uh, living. We're either following or falling. And when we're not following, we're susceptible and our guard's down. So what I want you to see, second thing is this. We have to keep our guard up. Write this down. We have to, second thing I want you to see, we have to keep our guard up. We have to keep our guard up. Because if David can, we can. We have to keep our guard up. Thirdly, what do we learn from David? Don't hide your sin. We see that as he tried to brush it over to cover it up, man, we see that it just led to more and more struggle and difficulty. And don't you guys agree? Y'all ever tried to lie to your parents in high school? Y'all ever done some of that? Man, I'm glad I ain't in high school now. They'll be pinging your behind. They'll find you, right? But man, it always seemed like when I would lie about stuff, whose, whose house I was at, what I was doing, man, don't, don't we always get busted in that stuff? You know, it's like God and his sovereignty, like he roots us out, man, we get busted. Well, listen, this is what's happened to David as he tries to lie and cover it up. Um, he, he just begins to get exposed. He, he, he tries to send Uriah uh, to, to cover it up, to be with his wife. He, he tries to, to, um, to, to, to get him drunk and then send him out. He tries to, to send him to the front lines, and ultimately he murders him to cover up his sin. But I want to ask you a question. How can we apply this? What if King David had someone he was in community with and he was accountable to? Hear that again. What if David was in a small group? That, that loved him enough to see these things in his life? What if David was in a church family that loved him enough to see him veering off the beaten path and could go and get him? What if, what if he was in accountability relationship? What if it had got headed off before? What, what, how might have David's story been different? Because you see, sin is a slow and steady drift. It's a slow and steady drift toward, I can do it. I don't need anybody. I'm doing better. I'm doing good. Man, it's been a good week. It's a slow drift towards self-reliance. I've got this. David probably said, man, I'm the king of Israel. These, all these jokers got to listen to me. I've got it, man. I've got the Lord's anointing. I, I've got it. And we see that, man, it took him to a bad place. And what I want to encourage everybody with today, I know this is strong, but man, this is a loving, loving message because we're going to see the gospel in just a second. But, but listen, I want you to lean in right here. It's not a matter of if we have sin. It's not a matter of being perfect or right. Uh, that's not it. I wake up a messed up, broken dude, and guess what? It plays itself out in my life. I know you guys don't get to be around me 24-7, but it is a, not a model of perfection. I struggle in my relationships. I struggle with, with being, being uh, faithful in some areas, right? But what the Bible teaches us is the mark of a healthy believer is not absence of sin, is confession and repentance of our sin, right? The mark of a healthy believer is not whether you become perfect. Man, I got saved, son, I towed the, the, the narrow, man, I'm, I'm killing it. No, it's not that. 
It's admitting over and over again, man, I'm broken and Lord, I need you. Over and over and over. The mark of a healthy believer is not righteousness, self-righteousness, it's repentance. Hear that again. The mark of a healthy believer is not self-righteousness, it's repentance. It's not walking in light, it's not an absence of sin, it's honesty about our sin. What if David had accountability? It would have looked different. Fourth thing that we learn is that sin has consequences. Now this is where it gets good. And I want to invite you next week. Mark your calendar, star highlight, because I'm continuing this story. As we learn in the sullen um, fall of David, right? Uh, adultery, murder, I mean, just egregious stuff. Did you know God's not done with David? He is not disqualified from his calling. He has not fallen so far that God can't save him. He's not fallen so far that God's grace can't meet him. In fact, we're going to learn more about David and what God does through his fall. So I want to let you know if today you're feeling the weight of like, dude, I, I know exactly what you mean. I have fallen. I mean, God's grace is sufficient to meet you just like it meets David. Man, he loves you. And you are not done. You're not disqualified. You're, you're, not, you're not so broken that God can't mend it. And listen, I, I, don't, I don't back away from brokenness. Man, when someone comes and says, God, I don't want to be broken anymore. God, I, I need to be rescued. Man, I'm leaning into that because that's what Jesus came to do. This isn't a place to come and sit and all of us look at how pretty and good we are. No, it's a place to come and be honest how much we need our Savior to rescue us in our stuff. Amen? That's what he came to do. He said, I didn't come for the well. I came to heal the sick. He told Matthew, man, the first time when Matthew gets saved, Jesus has dinner with a bunch of the worst people in the city. Matthew's like, listen, I got you. You got to come meet this Savior who met me, right? That Jesus came for the broken. He left 99 good sheep to go get a herding one. That's what he does. That's who he is. And we learn this in David's story. So the Lord doesn't reward sin. David's going to lose a child. David's going to fight a civil war against one of his children. I mean, he's about to struggle. So let me just say this, and this is the front end. Sin has consequences. And really, the rest of David's kingship, I mean, he's got to, he's got to fight some tough stuff because of his sin. So the Lord doesn't reward sin, but he doesn't condemn us either, right? He doesn't reward sin, but he doesn't condemn us because of our sin. Come next week, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. But fifthly, this is what I'm excited about. David's fall points us to the gospel. You take that with you. If you haven't been listening, man, David's fall points to the gospel. Because you're like, but last week, David was a picture of Jesus. Well, this whole series, A Greater Story, is about us seeing Jesus in every story in the Bible, right? Every story we talk about on Sundays. We're like, where's the guy that was Jesus, man? He is doing not Jesus stuff. Like, he is doing un-Jesus stuff. Like, he is um, messing with folks he shouldn't be messing with. He is, he is murdered somebody. Where is Jesus? Well, this week, David is a picture of us. We're the ones that have sinned, that have fallen short. We're the ones that have made decisions to hurt people. We're the ones that have broken the heart of God through our decisions. We're David. We say, well, but where is Jesus? Jesus is Uriah. You say, well, how is he Uriah? Well, Uriah was a righteous man. Instead of indulging in revelry, he stayed with God's people his heart was on the ark. His heart was on the presence of God. His heart was on the people of God. He was loving God and loving people, seeking to, to win victories for God. He was battling, right? And what do we see? We see that Uriah was a better man than David. We see that Uriah was a righteous man, a good man, doing what was right. But listen, this is where the gospel is. 
David sent Uriah to the front lines to die. Our sin sent our Savior to the cross. Hear that again. David sent Uriah to the front lines to die. It is our sin that sent our Savior up the hill to die in our place. Because see, here's the thing. Uriah was out at the front of the battle being where David should have been. Right? And when he was at the front of the battle, he died so that David could go free. Brother and sister, this is what our Savior did for us. Okay, While we have fallen short of the glory of God and have messed up and have fallen away from the Lord, our Savior went to the cross and died the death we were destined to die, raised from the dead and said, my blood is sufficient to cover you from all your sin. That is the gospel. It is the gospel message. And listen, it is not to go... Get better in three weeks. Now you can come back and receive it. Jesus died to save you from your sin today. To all who would believe. So Jesus dies in our place. And so I just want to ask that question today. If maybe, maybe there's someone here that you, you can relate with David. I mean, you have fallen. You've messed up. People know it, right? Maybe, maybe it, is, it, is a, it is a tough deal. You have You have fallen. My, my encouragement is this, man. That message that, that I just shared, Jesus died to meet you where you are with whatever you're going through. He, he loves you. When he, when he resurrected, what he was saying is paid in full. Man, I, I, I can meet anyone where they are, right? And the blood of Jesus is sufficient to save us from our sin. Maybe today you hear this message and maybe you've been tempted to take your foot off the gas. All these crazy times, man, there's every excuse to just not care about Jesus, right? And maybe today it's, it's a reminder of, man, there's a bigger thing at stake than just me not, just not reading my Bible, right? Like, no, God wants what's best for you, and it's a protection. The best defense is a good offense. And maybe today that you're reminded that, man, I need to keep my guard up. If David could fall, I could fall. Maybe today, man, you need to pray and there's some stuff you need to confess to God and let them take from you. Man, that's what we're here to do. Man, this is something you don't have to pretend here, right? You don't have to come here and give me your best. And show how good you are, man. No, listen, Jesus meets people where they are, but we have to be honest about where we are and let them. Amen. And today, mainly, you know, I just want you to see the gospel. <laughs> I want you to see our Savior. Because in these crazy times, in these last days, man, Jesus is still in the work of saving people. And that's what I, I love. So let's, uh, let's pray, and, and I'm going to lead us into some next steps. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for this message, for this word. I just want to speak to the heart right now. Who, who needs to hear that word? Who needs to hear the gospel, the good news? that Jesus, you went and died in our place to save us from our sin. And maybe there's someone here who has heard that and knows that, that they needed to hear it. And not only do they want, to, but they want to hear it, but maybe you're saying, God, I need to receive that. And what I believe, the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And, and faith is, is, is an action. And, and what I see is um, every week we offer to raise hands. It's an extension of saying yes. In faith, I receive what, what you've given me, Jesus, on the cross. And so if that's you here today and you say, Buck, I, I want a relationship with Jesus by faith. I've never done that. But today I realize that I'm not too far gone and Jesus can meet me where I am. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand in faith? Is that anyone here today? Would you lift your hand in faith? I really sense that. Is that anyone? Uh, say, man, I, 
I need a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone else? Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what you teach us in David's story. God, I pray for a lot of redemption in this room. God, I pray for a a lot of hope and a lot of um, just experiencing your grace. And God, I pray as we talk about David's story and the redemption we see next week, God, I pray that you would use this, God, to warn us, to encourage us, to teach us, to strengthen us. And God, I pray you get all, all the glory in what's going on, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, we, we uh, had someone respond to, in faith. Can we celebrate that? Um, it never, never gets old. Um, and I want to encourage us as we walk in this last song. Maybe God's asking you to take a next step. Maybe the Lord, you're saved, you know, I've come to faith in Christ. Well, I want you to know, you know if you've got a sermon card on the way in, you'll see some next steps in there. Our Heart and Soul class starts next Sunday evening. Um, I would encourage you, if you're on the fence about that, to, to join. I, I believe it will be life-changing, and I, I would look forward to seeing you. And um, Whatever that next step may be, I want to encourage you to take it. And, uh, yeah, just want you to know I love you. Praying for you always. Praying for us in these times. Uh, let's finish our service together by worshiping Jesus for what he did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.